Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 254 and it's proudly brought to you by the always growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit thegreynato.com for more details. My name is James Stacey. I'm, of course, joined as ever with my dive buddy and a podcast friend, <laughs> Jason Heaton. How are we doing? Good. Yeah, it's a particularly fun episode here. We just saw each other a few days ago and we're going to be seeing each other mm-hmm. in a few more days. So, yeah, really cool. Yeah, I guess you're, you're in the air before this one goes live yeah. um, and I come out a little bit later for this thing in uh, in France with Blanc Pond. But yeah, it's been kind of two back to back um, at least I'm assuming, you know, dive watch related trips. Yeah. I still don't have the official word on, uh, on what Blanc Pond's launching, but I'm, I'm sure, you know, given, given the anniversary and the rest of it, that's a safe bet. And then beyond that, yeah, we, we had a great time, a uh, great couple of days in the Gulf coast of Florida with Tudor and several other folks, uh, which we'll get to as sort of the main topic of, um, of the show how is um we we had some struggle getting home <laughs> yeah a little drama <laughs> drama sitting on the plane yeah we had yeah. a little bit of drama yeah we almost uh, it was almost like a charter flight it was it was so many of us from the trip uh sitting there near mm-hmm. each other and all of a sudden they came on and said uh there were some air traffic delays and uh some of you aren't going to make your connections and everybody was quickly on their phones and you did the the full sprint across a couple of a uh, couple of concrete courses and and we both made our flights yeah, it was crazy because we're sitting in the plane and they, they go, well, there's this issue. And every 20, every two or three minutes, they were giving us a different guess on when it would work out. And like, w- they were wildly different numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe we'll sit for an hour. Maybe we'll sit for 12 minutes. Maybe we'll push back so we can get in line to only sit for 18 minutes. <laughs> so maybe you still make your flight the rest of it. I think I had an, like an hour and five minutes in Atlanta to make my connection. Yeah. Which, but the, the thing that happened that I think cost us the most time and I've in all my flying, this is new to me. So I thought I'd tell the story, but, um, they told people they could get off, like to get, I guess to get food or maybe to full on like leave. Yeah. But there's a deboarding procedure where you scan. I, I assume they put their computer in <laughs> deboarding mode. Yeah. And as you go by, you, you scan your boarding pass and that registers you as no longer on the flight. Yeah. Well, I guess two guys got off the flight in a huff, then got in an argument with the folks at the counter and wouldn't identify themselves. They wouldn't scan. They wouldn't do what they were told, and they just attempted to leave the airport. Mm. And so it became like an air traffic control and a police matter, <laughs> and then they had everybody like return to their seats. They looked at the two empty seats. They called for these people's names, first and last name. I could have sat there looking these guys up on Instagram. Yeah. And then said, all right, well, now we know who we need. And they like left and closed the door on the plane and we like got underway. But man, we got to um, <laughs> we got to Atlanta <laughs> at a B gate and I think I had to get to a D gate or the other way around. Yeah. And the train for the Atlanta airport was down or on like supplemental service. Like it wasn't running as fast as it or as normally as it should. So if you know, like you basically come down out of a concourse, one of the numbered concourses down into a long tunnel that connects all of them. And you can walk that tunnel or you can take the train along the side of the tunnel. And the train is infinitely faster unless you just have to go one concourse. But the issue was, it was kind of like twofold. I needed to, I think I had 14 minutes (laughs) to get from like when I said goodbye to you and everybody else we were near on the plane, I just started running. Uh, I don't think I've run that hard in years (laughs) um, because I really did want to get home. I didn't want to deal with having to get in line with Delta and sort out the next flight. And so far, the app hadn't rebooked me. So I thought like, hey, the app believes I'm going to make it. I'm going to go for it. 
And I got down the escalator. And of course, because the trains are slow, the hallway, the tunnel is full. Yeah. So like I'm running hard enough to like my vans are squeaking on the floor when I'm like <laughs> deking around people and trying not to like, you know, crash into somebody with my roller bag and the rest of it. But I just made it. Wow. Um, wow. I just made it to the end. And it was so obvious that I had been running that the woman I sat down next to this really nice woman from Atlanta who's going to a, a wedding in Toronto this weekend. Uh, she gave me her water. She's like, ah, you're what's going on? I was like, I just ran two concourse. She's like, all right, you can have my water. <laughs> it's got to look ridiculous when you're like comfortably sitting in your, in Sweating your seat away. and yeah. some six foot three knucklehead covered in sweat, yeah. like looking kind of angry and disheveled, like shows up and sits next to you. <laughs> she was very nice. Though. Yeah. My transit wasn't quite as dramatic, although I, I did walk very fast and I got, I went from one plane right onto the next. And then my concern wasn't a huge concern was that my, my checked bag with all my kind of so- Always, soggy yeah. dive gear and, and some other stuff in it, dirty laundry, I guess, uh, wouldn't make it back, but I figured just going home, they'll deliver it a day later. Um, but man, to my surprise, Delta, you know, hats off. They, they got that bag on the, on the plane with me, which, which was shocking because I think it was like a 20 minute turnaround. So. I, Cause you, you texted me like <laughs> I made it and I was like, I'm in I my couldn't seat. Believe, <laughs> I couldn't believe you were in your seat already. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I could have moved any faster, like without hurting somebody yeah, or yourself. Yeah, like right. if, if the wrong, if the wrong, you know, older folk with a walker, like <laughs> stepped into my lane at the wrong moment we were going to have a a multiple car pile up in you know in the concourse between (laughs) c and d yeah i saw you disappear into the distance as i was hustling to my gate that was crazy yeah so that was that was a bit of drama and then i got home late that evening and um and then uh family's ill they've got uh there's kind of a cough going through the fam so it's been kind of a busy week doing work and kids and yeah. doctor's appointments and that kind of stuff. So yeah. uh, always a treat to sit down, take a little break and chit chat with you. And uh, we've, we've got kind of a fun one coming up. What else has kind of been, been on your radar since we recorded the icebreaker episode, which weirdly kind of worked out. People seem to enjoy it. Yeah. And I did too. I, I'd like to do some more of that kind of uh, sort of off the wall episode. That was, that was a good time. And, and, and people did seem to dig that. But uh, uh, since I got home, uh, you know, I mean, it's been kind of back to back to back trips. I had Ecuador and then Florida and then, uh, I leave, we're recording this on a Tuesday, I leave tomorrow for France and I'm going a little earlier than you. I've, I'm moderating a panel discussion about Blanc Pond's ocean commitment program on, on Friday uh, evening at, at the hotel where we're all staying at. So I, I guess the, the folks that are coming in earlier will be attending that. I'm not sure who that is, if it's more of the European, journalist crowd or whatever, but, uh, I'm doing that Friday night. So I've got to be there Thursday to kind of button up some details about that. And then I guess I'm doing a little diving again on Friday morning in the Mediterranean. So nice. my, my, my gear is barely dry and, and it's already packed again. And, <laughs> and then, and then we've got the big main event, which is on Saturday evening, which looks pretty, pretty wild. I mean, you know, the, the tutor trip was a blast and, and we'll get into that, but it was, it was mm-hmm. so fun for a number of reasons. This trip will be fun. It'll be interesting, but I believe it's going to be on a very different kind of totally level of, vibe, of luxury, yeah. you know, South of France mm-hmm. and they're talking Michelin star chefs and dinner on an Island and that sort of stuff. But we'll, we'll get to all that, uh, I guess next week in next week's episode. Um, but other than that, I, you know, if you remember back in July at wind up, I, I did that morning dive, um, courtesy of Ben Roos, uh, and Warren and wound and, uh, a lot, a lot of the same characters that were on our dive boat in Florida were also on that boat. And I, I wrote up a story for Warren and Wound about the new Ben Roos and it's finally launching 
it will have launched actually by the time this episode goes up and uh, we'll throw a link in the show notes to my review of that. But I, I just really like what Warren and Wound did with the photos and then they put together a really nicely done um, video of, of our day of diving, which, uh, which is oh, really nice. cool. So we'll share that with, with folks, but man, July seems like ages ago. I mean, doesn't it? It really does, man. Like, I mean, yeah, I moved in July and it feels like <laughs> I've been here for a while at yeah. this point. And then like with, it's crazy how the, like, maybe it's just me. Maybe you feel the same way um, because we spend enough time together uh, digitally. Yeah. But like, I still feel like I haven't found the pace I had before the pandemic. Mm. Yeah. Like having two or three trips in a month feels untenable to manage the rest of the work. And I know that like my workload changed several times over the pandemic and I yeah. do different stuff now than I did before. Significantly different. Yeah. But like back in the day, it wasn't that much of a stretch to spend 10 days on the road. Right. And it really isn't, to be honest. But uh, yeah, I, I just feel like I haven't I haven't like figured everything out yet. Like normally I would already have my bag kind of packed. I still haven't unpacked from Tudor, which means my... <laughs> reg is sitting with my clothes in my bag oh wow yeah uh, <laughs> so all those that's gonna you know take some time um luckily i'd like i'm only in i get in saturday morning yeah to this thing and i go back saturday mo- uh, sunday morning crazy um, so i only need like one and a half outfits yeah i'm considering only taking a camera bag it depends on how much recording gear we end up needing yeah right but right. at this point i am on the edge of like putting a camera on top of a spare pair of jeans and a t-shirt and, and showing <laughs> right. up to France like that. Yeah. And thankfully, uh, this is, you know, you never really know, especially with a brand like Blanc Pond, a big event, it's not black tie. So I don't have to do the tux thing. It's like, I think it's actually like casual chic. Yeah. Which is, uh, which is kind of a plus, right? Um, <laughs> kind of a little bit easier to, to manage this time of year. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it'll be an interesting trip. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I, I think the word chic is being overused these days. <laughs> in fact, I'm still never well, at this quite point, sure. It doesn't what mean that means. much. Like you can't say yeah. casual. Like you obviously you don't want people showing up in track suits necessarily. Right. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I don't, I don't really know what the, what casual chic would have been called ten years ago. Probably <laughs> maybe casual chic, maybe twenty years ago. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, I assume like you know that's a blazer. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But they did say bring comfortable shoes. That was the, that's been, they always say that and I never do. Yeah. Right. Um, I will probably wear the loafers that look the best and hurt the most. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I'll be seeing you Saturday, uh, Saturday afternoon at the, at the hotel. That'll be, that'll be fun to catch up again and and hopefully we'll get to do a little bit of recording there, but uh, stand by for that. We're still working out some details. So yeah, that may happen or it may not. But I also think the person that we might be able to chat with would be uh, fine to do on Zoom as well if they end up busy. They're a very yeah. busy person. Yeah. But hey, if we bring the gear and and even if they're not available, maybe we can we can get an episode in while we're in the yeah. same room anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Let's try for it. All right. How about a little bit of risk check? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll go first. Mine's uh, mine's a bit of a no brainer. I'm, I'm, you know, uh, Dressing the part, so to speak, for this week, I've got uh, I've switched out my tutor from last week. I've got my uh, fifty fathoms on the the big boy, the the titanium um, uh, diver uh, that I got back in in February uh, before the Polynesia trip, um, and I think that's going to be my my go to for the trip. I've been debating that or the bathyscaphe, but uh, that's been glued to Gashani's wrist lately, and she can be with me in spirit <laughs> here. So, yeah, yeah, I have no idea what to wear. I don't have something appropriate. I don't have a 50 fathoms, you know, scuba. I don't have, uh, I certainly don't have a 50 fathoms in general. Yeah. Yeah. 
hopefully we'll see some of this, the, the 50 fathom scubas at uh, some airport swatch boutiques or maybe in France or maybe at the event or something. I'm sure a few people will be wearing them, I would guess. I don't know. Do you just wear like the Aqualand? <laughs> <laughs> like something that, the you know, yeah. like I used to always have a G-Shock that I wore to press trips when I didn't have oh, own, sure. like, the host brand thing. Scurfa. Hmm. Yeah, could do the Scurfa, could do the CWC, could just yeah. wear the Pelagos. Like, what What do they care? Yeah, right. They probably yeah. don't care at all. Yeah, um, yeah. And if it, you know, it, knowing I don't have a, a 50 Fathoms. And then right. sometimes you go on these trips and you get there and they make you sign some paperwork and you just, they hand you a watch for 24 hours. Right, right. Which I don't think is the vibe with this one. It doesn't seem like that. Um, yeah. Probably too many people coming on this trip as well to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've got, uh, I've, I've got, uh, I've got some options here. How about the Mito? I haven't seen the Mito in person. That'd be a cool travel. Kind of, it, it feels sort of south of France. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And it's Swatch family. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe, maybe the Mito on like a sl- slightly fancier strap. Yeah. Uh, something like a, maybe a bit of a leather. I don't know what I've got in 21, but I can certainly find out. Could put yeah. it on the, the postal canvas as well. Right. Yeah. But yeah, currently on my wrist uh, while we're recording this is actually the new Bulova Oceanographer GMT. Uh, so these launched last week. These aren't a super big secret. They had leaked some time ago. They were on the TGN Slack, but I'd signed uh, the NDA and and I respect embargoes. Uh, so I didn't didn't kind of lean in and, and do that one. But I have all three actually on my desk. So there's a steel Pepsi with a 24 hour bezel. There's a, a steel root beer with like IP plated gold. Um, with a 24-hour bezel, and then there's the one I like the most, which is the Loom Dial, which has an IP-coated like gunmetal polished gunmetal case. Yeah, and then the bezel and the dial are fully luminous. Yeah, these are these are pretty cool. This was an interesting uh, sort of iteration of of the Oceanographer, which which is a watch that I've I've liked quite a bit over the years, and I I just did I sure. didn't see this one coming. I'd caught wind of it, um, like a lot of people, but uh, yeah, the Loom Dial one is it's it's quite different. That's a neat watch, and I like what they did with those very three-dimensional uh, hour markers to kind of incorporate them in with the 24-hour scale. Yeah, it's a, it's a good job. Um, very readable. Uses the Miyota 9075, so it's a flyer GMT. Looking at $1,300, I think it's actually $1,295 for the white dial, $1,350 for the ones on the bracelets. Uh, currently, it's an exclusive to the Hodinkee shop, which I'm actually just learning as I scroll down uh, into our intro. You should probably have known that uh, in advance. Yeah, and it's, it's the three versions. I, I like the... The Loom Dial one the most because it has a dive bezel. Yeah. But obviously, if you're buying this to be kind of a travel watch that you could also wear in the pool or diving if you wanted that sort of thing, all three are going to do the job. They all have 666 feet of water resistance, you know, a little nod to the devil diver. Very much, I think, in the range of of like if you were keen on a Doxa and you wanted one with a with a GMT, this is pretty compelling. And it also puts the Flyer GMT from a brand that people know into a great price point, right? Like yeah. Mito does it, but it's not like the 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 Mito Ocean Star GMT, the Hodinki LE that we were just referencing. And and yeah, it might be might be the right pick to take on this on this trip. They do it, and that's more like just under fourteen hundred dollars with three straps and and with an Eta, you know, movement. This uses the Miyota. It's a little bit less expensive. I, I just think uh, more great competition in the GMT space. Yeah, especially yeah. when it comes to uh, a flyer. So uh, I'm I like it quite a bit. I I'm wearing it on the rubber that it came with because uh, I want to give it a fair shake. I really can't warm up to most rubber straps that have you know the fitted kind of stiff mm-hmm. element next to the case. Yeah, uh, I've complained about it on doxas and 
many other brands. So I've been wearing this. It's quite comfortable. It is a nice strap. I don't love the aesthetic of the strap. I think this is just a watch that needs a NATO. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, it's been good. I've been enjoying it and I'm working on a story for that uh, as we speak. Very cool. Well, uh, yeah. I guess with all that out of the way, we can we can really dive into, um, so to speak, with uh, with Tudor. I mean, just kind of a rehash of our trip. Yeah, the launch of uh, a new FXD that uh, a lot of people seems like the the chorus line is that it's not new. Hmm. Um. I. It, it's such a weird thing to pick that, especially with a brand like Tudor. Like they release a watch and then they release a different color later. Yeah. Yeah. Like I remember getting really hyped about the navy blue. BB58, mm-hmm. which was like mechanically touch points, all of that identical to the standard one. But with this, it is a, a, a slight rethinking of the format that was offered by the MN at the end of uh, 2021, uh, where we now have a conventional dive bezel and it's all black. Uh, granted, those aren't big changes over the standard one, but it is an FXD in black, essentially with a, sto- with a, a normal unidirectional elapsed time bezel. Yeah, I, I think um, I, I understand people's uh, perspectives when they say, oh, it's just it's just black. And, you know, I think that's that's a bit of a um, flippant comment that that I don't exactly agree with. Um, but I will say that I think I think Tudor has a really smart playbook that they go by um, with with a lot of their watches, especially in the Black Bay and and now in the Pelagos family with, you know, they have these options where, you know, we know that they have. We know that they've made an FXD chronograph for the Red Bull Racing uh, mm-hmm. team that, that we talked about uh, not long ago. Um, you know, you can see that maybe in the future coming to kind of the standard Pelagos F- FXD. You know, th- they can go blue, they can go black, they can go black case, which is, which was my guess. I thought this was going to have a black case. I thought it had this sort of, you know, Navy special ops sort of um, uh, vibe going on. I thought they'd go with a black case, but. To be honest, when I first saw this watch, when they unveiled it, and I was expecting a black case, I looked at it, I looked at it again, and it really has a different look than the blue. The blue, I will admit, I know everybody loves the blue. The blue always felt a little too bright, maybe a little toy-like, maybe a little, I don't want to say plasticky, but for some reason, the black just has a seriousness to it um, that really resonated with me. And and you know, I've made no secret to you and anybody that was listening down in Florida that I want one of these so badly. I mean, this is this is this is uh, this is my favorite Pelagos by far. And I've had I, I had the first generation. I've tried and dived, you know, other other versions. Uh, this one sings to me. This one's really cool. And part of it is, I mean, I just loved wearing it. I loved how comfortable it was. I love that strap. Yeah, the new the new strap. So the obviously the blue one came with a blue Velcro and. Uh, sorry, let's be fair. Hook and loop. I actually don't know if it's Velcro. <laughs> yeah. And then the. Uh, uh, like a long rubber single piece style strap mm-hmm. in the new black version, which people are calling the USN, which I, I don't think is mm. makes a lot of sense to me necessarily because there isn't, un- unlike with the MN where it was kind of specifically designed, this is, seems more referential in many ways. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not, there aren't folks in the Navy that could have this watch or a version of this watch, but more, you know, this is in, in my mind, they really, they probably should have called it the Pelagos FXD black or something like that just right. to make it a little bit clear. True. We, yeah. we now have several watches that are called the Pelagos FXD. Yeah. And I almost wondered, do you think that some of the feedback would have been different if they had gone blue, black, and then the Red Bull ones? Hmm. I think it was kind of smart to go blue, the wilder Red Bull ones, carbon case, new color scheme that we don't see on Tudor. Otherwise, the, this kind of purpley blue and red. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then do the kind of core 
this is our this is our modern sort of mill sub. Right. You had the special bezel complication use for the Commando Hubert. That's not here. This is a very conventional. Like in many ways, if if you want to say, and I've said this in the past, I've said it in my in my write up for this new watch. But if the Pelgos thirty nine is essentially their like modern ninety four oh one, their the Tudor sub of today, um, then this is in many ways kind of the the next step beyond that. Aesthetically, the two next to each other look so similar. Yeah, yeah. And I I love the thirty nine. I I prefer the thirty nine still to the FXD, but the FXD is a cooler thing with the fixed lugs, mm-hmm. the fully graduated bezel, great loom. Um, I, I was just very impressed by it. It wears just like the blue one. Like it's a, it's a long watch, yeah. you know, toe to tip, yeah. but it's not unwearable. I don't think you, I don't think that it's too big necessarily. Um, and I think as long as you're happy with the strap and, and that sort of thing with the fixed lugs, obviously, I, th- I think it's a, definitely a compelling thing. I would still lean towards just how nice the 39 feels on my wrist. It's yeah. just it's the right size. It feels like an everyday watch, um, but I can't fault you or really anybody else for, again, kind of stick like uh, appreciating the same thing that I liked about the thirty nine. It's so conventional, mm-hmm. like this is the FXD kind of at its most conventional. Normal bezel, black yeah. dial, right. very matte. Feels very much like like in in many ways, aside from maybe the red Pelagos text, which feels very thirty nine. Yeah. This does feel like a uh, a direct evolution of the t- original two liner that you had. Mm-hmm. The the thing that people and and right rightfully so uh, the the reservations some people have and, and I, I get this it's you know well you don't get the great bracelet option or or rubber strap nope. and I I get it um, you know that the Pelagos bracelet is arguably the best in the business um, but there, there's just something about a, a fixed lug or fixed strap bar whatever you want to call it um, diving watch that really sings to me. And I think it's, it's just that purposefulness and, and just sort of the quirkiness of it. You know, it's, it's like you, you can only, you can really only dress down this watch, you know, and, and I can see just, just wearing it on a, on a comfy, that strap was very comfortable. The, the hook and loop that came with it as well as any other NATO would be great. And it's just, I, I just feel like if I had this watch, it would be, and you know, here, here we go. You know, it's the comment I make about every single watch. It's like that I like. It's like I would wear this all the time, but I think I would. I yeah. think this is kind of like, you know, I'll go for long stretches with the CWC on, and I think it's because it's it's so, you know, once you you put like a nylon strap on it, um, it 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 almost uh, it dresses it down to the point where you don't feel like you're wearing a luxury piece, and you almost feel compelled to just kind of do everything in it, and with with less mm-hmm. worry. And that's how I kind of feel about this one. Yeah, I mean that that's largely how I how I've operated with my P thirty nine since I bought it. Um yeah. I I wear it all the time. It's made most of my other watches somewhat irrelevant. More and more I really do appreciate a just a simple, modern, wearable watch. And that for me has become this format of like it's legible, the bezel's awesome, it's very comfortable, and it's lightweight. Yeah. 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 I think I think they've done a nice job. Uh obviously the release was sort of an, an interesting thing because it you kind of have to trace the arc of how a trip like this is even possible from a brand like Tudor. Mm-hmm. And in many ways, it's our it's our buddy Cole. Uh, Cole Pennington, who's been on the show several times, used to work for Hodinkee, kind of left that side of the industry, moved to Switzerland, took a job with Tudor. And we're starting, like, I think this is an exceedingly Cole sort of trip that he put yeah. together with it, with the team at Tudor where this is a part of Florida of the states that Cole knows really well. 
Cole's a huge fisherman and a diver, just general sportsman. And then to see not only that layer, but then the layer on top of that of the Man in the Sea Museum, which we can get to, and uh, you know the folks who are in attendance, not from the press necessarily at the at the event, whether they were kind of member or you know um, folks there in honor of uh, of the Navy history with Tudor and the rest of it. It was it was an interesting sort of thing. Maybe the the right way to start would be. Well, prob- probably the others on the trip. Like, it's, I don't think I've been on a, a quote-unquote press trip like this in the past, right? We had a, bu- a bunch of folks from the same sort of circle that we're part of with Cole uh, previously. And, uh, and it, it, was, it was fun to see folks. Why don't you, why don't you run down the, the cast? Of, you mentioned a cast of characters, which is exactly what it was, uh, your, yourself and uh, myself included. Yeah, this was the first time I've been on a on a bigger trip like this in several years, probably you know before pandemic, maybe even before that, where... Um, every time I turned my head, there was somebody new that I hadn't seen in many years, or maybe even hadn't met. You know, Adrian Barker from from about effing time and Barker Adrian. Jack, yeah. um, Andrew McCutcheon, um, also about effing time and Time and Tide, of course. Uh, you know, Bryce from from Monochrome, uh, just a, a bunch of people from the industry, Ariel Adams, etc. But then you had this this other contingent of of people that. I'm very proud to say our, our, you know, devoted, loyal uh, TGNers and that's, you know, mm-hmm. Justin, um, uh, the restorian, uh, we had Nacho who, who also writes for Fratello. He was there. You know, he's a TGN guy. Chris soul, of course, our good buddy, moderator Supreme. Yeah. Ben Lowry, of course, Cole, uh, Asha Wagner was there. Um, it was, it was, it was just this, this wonderful blend of, of people. And I think, you know, I, I'm sure viewed from, from a distance, this must have looked like a strange trip because we had this this big group. It was a big group of people um, mm-hmm. for a watch that when many people saw it, they're like, it's black. What's the big deal? But yeah, um, this felt like the right mix of people and type of trip for the type of watch that they were introducing because of the general theme of it and the enthusiasm that was brought to it um, by all the people that were there. I mean, we had a lot of what I would call in in the most affectionate way, nerds, you know, like Navy oh, nerds, yeah. dive watch nerds, dive nerds. Um, and boy, we had a blast. I mean, you could just, the, the excitement was palpable when we were at, at the event at, at the museum that we'll talk about here. And then also diving. It was just, it was such a great crew of people. And I had such a good time uh, talking to everybody. Yeah, I agree. It was, it was nice to see all these folks. These are folks that largely we only get to see, um, you know, at wind up. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, is is probably the normal one. Obviously, when it comes to folks like uh, others from our direct industry, you catch up on trips occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was it was an awesome chance. And then you know they had a pretty nice loose itinerary that kept everything to roughly one day. Yeah. Where you know we we started our morning at the Man in the Sea Museum, which if you're ever in this area in um, Panama City Beach area, even even just generally in the area of Florida's Gulf Coast, go out of your way to to swing by this museum. Yeah, uh, I think it was like five or ten dollars a head. I, I glanced very quickly just to, to remember to make a note. Not an expensive thing, but like you pull into the parking lot and they have Sea Lab there, <laughs> yeah. uh, among several other submarines and yeah. uh, underwater habitats. And then inside is jaw dropping. I think you could spend a year in there, and yeah. the best you would do is probably end up getting a job. <laughs> you know, leading tours or something like that. Like it, it's just a very, very cool space. The whole trip sort of had this like casual energy that aligned really nicely with the FXD, mm-hmm. right? It, it, of course it has this tie to military diving, to mill sub, to modern sort of spec ops, that sort of thing. But on top of that, it is this casual watch that you wear on a, uh, you know, a fabric strap 
and it doesn't look out of place with dive gear or with jeans and shorts and a t-shirt and, and the rest of it. Uh, and I think that aligned nicely to do it at this sort of um, really impressive museum, uh, but you know, not not a, a fancy place, right? By any right. stretch, certainly yeah. not within the realm of like Swiss watches. No, and and that was so refreshing. Um, you know, for one thing, you know, a lot of brands kind of really lean hard into the connections with you know whether um, legitimate or, or tenuous. You know, the kind of connections with Navy SEALs or or the Navy or you know, elite dive units, etc. Um, and I, I think Tudor sort of threaded the needle or, or, or walked the, the, the tightrope here with enough of kind of a little bit of like, all right, we're going to show you this, this sort of cool video, uh, at the start of things with, you know, lots of, uh, Navy divers wearing Tudors, which is fully legit and is really cool. And I, I, I totally get off on that sort of thing. Um, and then, then they had these guys, these, these legit old guys from the sea lab era, UDT guys, CBs, et cetera. Um, kind of mingling around, talking, sh- sharing their enthusiasm, uh, you know, teaching teaching us about various elements of the museum. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the presentation um, and just was kind of on on visual overload at the museum. And then, like, we go out in this scorching, humid parking lot, and they had a tent set up with this, you know, kind of simple but great sort of very golf themed uh, lunch for us. And then off to, off to the diving. And I, I think I was eating quesadillas in a parking lot. I was a happy kid. I had a screaming cold Diet Coke, doing great. <laughs> With C-Lab behind you, you know? Uh, it, was, it was really special. And the museum itself, you know, you mentioned... Uh, Fantastic. Encouraging people to go there. And I, everywhere I looked, you know, the thing about uh, a museum like that is you have, you know, big stuff. They had like, you know, hyperbaric stretcher and they had, you know, tanks and dive suits on mannequins, et cetera. And then like you, you lean in close and they've got all this like little stuff. And, and some of it was just mind-blowing. I mean, I was... Uh, there was a whole wall that was dedicated to Operation Ivy Bells, which was this, uh, I'm such a nerd about it, but it was like this clandestine operation back in uh, the early 70s uh, in which um, Navy divers were locking out of submarines at the bottom of the sea over um, off the coast of the Soviet Union, tapping uh, you know seabed communication cables um, for many years until, uh, until a double agent uh, blew, the, blew the operation. Um, but they had this like little kind of tangled piece of metal, almost like shrapnel with Cyrillic writing on it that was recovered from the bottom of the sea from this operation and one of the diving suits used. And it was like, I was like, this is like history come to life here. This is stuff I've read about. There's books about it. Um, and here it is. And, and it was just such a thrill, um, to, to chat with these folks. And then, and then the, the dinner that night, which was, which was great. It was on a rooftop of a restaurant nearby. Um, and, and you know, some of the guys were there too. And I was chatting with this guy from the Seabees who's dived under the North pole out of a submarine and lived on a South Pacific Island for a year building a pier. And, um, you know, he just had great stories to tell. And I, I just feel like the overall atmosphere of the trip really superseded any specific about the watch. The watch kind of just spoke for itself, which was cool. The funny thing is, and I don't want to overstate it, but I do think if anybody is going to overstate it, it would be us. Is like obviously you can go back and listen to the Cole episodes, yeah, um, on the show, and obviously the the big thing that he brought as far as like a motto to his time at Hodinkee was always read the case back. Mm-hmm. This trip had like a case back sort of feel to it. The watch is great. Yeah. I don't I don't really know. Like I loved the blue FXD, and it had a weird bezel and was blue. This is black, still has the fully graduated bezel, but now it's, you know, lapse time. I think this is a very solid product. 
It's offered for the same price point. All of this makes sense. It's just another FXD um, that has a cool history underpinning with um, the 9401 and other issued watches and stuff like that. All of that, I think, is relatively simple. But if you spent the time like you did to go look at some of the walls in the museum or speak to some of the folks that like clearly weren't there as members of the press. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you said hello, they were like these incredibly friendly people with awesome stories. You're like, oh, this is just one of the most cool experiences of my life. <laughs> yeah. It felt like a giant episode of TGN, like done live <laughs> at a certain, at a certain point. Yeah. I mean, or, or, or almost like what we could aspire to be Yeah, in yeah. terms of meeting some of these people and their stories. And, and obviously, you know, I got, man, I got, uh, we're sitting chit chatting with this guy, um, retired, uh, Lieutenant William Jeb. And yeah. he was on, on, in a shuttle with us, going to the man in the sea museum and he was saying like, Oh, I was on seal team one from, you know, like 64 to 69. And I was like, Oh wait, that's when Moki was on seal team one. Yeah. And for those of you who don't know, years ago, I did a talking watches with a fellow named Philip Moki Martin, who is one of the founding members of seal team one, one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. I'll put it in the show notes. If you haven't seen it, it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my career, uh, working in watches and really all of the praise would go to Moki and, uh, to our video team. But, uh, it turns out <laughs> Mr. Jeb was uh, Moki's swim buddy in the <laughs> yeah, seals. So yeah. they were good friends. He had actually seen him just a couple weeks ago. So I got to see some like up-to-date photos of Moki and that kind of thing. So it is this kind of like cool, small world um, full of interesting people. You just have to, yeah, you have to be ready to turn the watch over and find the somewhat deeper story. Yeah. And it, it was a great trip. I mean, that that's the easy thing to say. And the press trips are not a dime a dozen. And it's not something I necessarily take for granted, but you know, we've talked about this, you, Jason, you and I in the past, and it's come up on the show. Like sometimes you go like, what's the point of this? Right. Right. I don't need something to be fancy. Like I'm good eating lunch in a parking lot. That's, this is fine. Yeah. Um, I'd rather do that next to C lab than, you know, on, <laughs> you know, a yacht somewhere or something like that. But yeah, I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the watch. And then obviously the day kind of culminated in, the groups being divided based on who could dive. And that was kind of a, not a prerequisite, but an added element for this trip was if you were a diver Mm -hmm. and then another group got to go snorkeling and apparently they had a pretty good time. Yeah. We went diving. So we piled on how many divers were there? 16, 17, 15, 16, maybe around that, that, something like that. Yeah. That's at least in the ballpark. And uh, so we went diving on a spot called the Jeff a hovercraft which is a, you know, an aluminum structure hovercraft, technically a, a prototype of a modern, um, like military transport hovercraft for mm-hmm. moving things from a ship to the shore. I don't remember how long they said it was, maybe 70, 75 feet, something like that. It was in about that much depth of water. Yeah, I think it was 95 uh, so feet we were long under, by about 40 okay, some feet wide. So, yeah. So uh, obviously it's kind of like two rails with a central hull in the center or like a plate in the center. And it would have operated on a skirt, which is no longer present. Uh, really, really cool. But we, we got out and everybody got in the water and did some diving and, uh, the dive was remarkable. I wrote, <laughs> I ended up kind of retuning my whole story to focus on the experience of, of diving and you and I were buddied up and you were taking photos of, uh, of folks underwater. So we splashed in first for the group and, you, you know, not great viz at the surface, maybe called 10 feet, yeah. 20, maybe 15 feet. Yeah. And then as we went down the anchor line, it got a little bit better, but whatever was good of the visibility was not ruined, but occluded yeah. <laughs> by about a billion like sardine and scad. Yeah. I've never, like I've dove a lot of different places. I've also, also dove places where I thought 
they had a lot of like biomass. So like a certain species of fish, there'd be a ton of them. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything like this. It was like being in a bait ball. Yeah, it was. Um, and, you know, the way that uh, this dive operator, Diver's Den, kind of structures the dive is the they get to the site. Uh, the dive master splashes in first, goes down, uh, fixes the line, uh, the down line, and then... Um, and then runs a, a horizontal line from that to the back of the boat, to the stern, and then up to kind of your down line. So you jump in, go down, swim down to the wreck. Um, and I remember he came back up and was kind of explaining. He said, well, there's a bit of current um, and there's a lot of fish. And uh, just, you know, to those maybe a little less ex- less experienced, um, it can get disorienting. And indeed it does. I mean, if, you, if you're kind of down there, they're just like whipping past, like swirling around you in just yeah. an absolute wall of fins and scales. And you know, like you kind of, it's one of those situations where, you know, you know, your bubbles go up, that's up, you know, the, the opposite is down. Um, but sometimes you like lose sight of the wreck. I mean, it was, uh, I wouldn't call it dangerous by any means, but it was just distracting. Yeah. What well, definitely did not feel dangerous or even sketchy. It was actually pretty, pretty straightforward diving. Mm-hmm. But if like we, you and I would be four or five feet apart <laughs> and I would see you one moment, go take my <laughs> camera. I, I board one of those oceanic housings that you talked about previously, which I can, I can chit chat about as well. But and then I would be like, oh, that's a cool photo. The light's right. I can, like, you had your big camera, so there was always some light, like, yeah. um, from your lamp. Right. And I'd go to grab my camera, and in the split second of doing that, you know, a, a wall of fish would entirely cover my view of you Yeah. Um, as they went by, <laughs> uh, you know. And then you'd be in a ball of fish, or in, in you'd be surrounded. Yeah. And you'd be like, one, how are they not bumping into me? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And then all of these small bait fish, the the scad and and the um, sardines and such, were being hunted by a slightly larger fish, which maybe a foot, a little bit longer than that, called a Spanish mackerel. Um, so if you were in the ball and then suddenly the ball disappeared, a mackerel would go by. Like yeah. they were very reactive to these these predators. Um, I, I really enjoyed the dive. I, I had a good time. It's it's hyper green. They call it golf green. But it's like almost oppressively green. It's, yeah. it, you know, n- not like water I'm necessarily used to. It was very warm. And then I had this oceanic housing, which which I said you you talked about in the past. It's their uh, their new iPhone housing. So I had my iPhone 12 in there. I was able to snap some wrist shots and some shots of people finning around. Uh, it was a loaner, so you, it went back with you to make it easier to, to return to them. But I'll definitely be buying one of those before I do my next sort of watch related dive trip for yeah. sure. Very, yeah. very nice product. I, I was impressed by it. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, the photos are, are a blast to look at. I mean, all your photos, my photos, like it, any photo that anybody took, like you see them, it's like, you see like, is that so-and-so behind those fish? Like you see a leg, you see a, a face, you see, mm-hmm. you know, a watch or something. And then it's just like this, these fish, which really added to it. I think if it was just a, a bit more of a, an empty sea, um, and the wreck, I don't think it would have been as, um, as interesting a dive. I mean, the, the wreck itself was, you know, it was kind of cool, but it wasn't uh, a really remarkable wreck as wrecks go. Um, so I think the fish really added to something. And then, and then, yeah, the, the green is, is greener than I've seen. I mean, in Ecuador, it was, it was pretty green a, a few weeks ago. And then yeah. the Great Lakes are usually pretty green, but this was beyond that. This was uh, like very emerald. So hence the name, I guess, the Emerald Coast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if, if, well, I mean, and, and up north of where I used to dive in Vancouver is the Emerald Sea. Oh yeah. Uh, and it, you know, there's, it gets super green up there as well. So, uh, you know, kind of fun that way. But if you want to see my photos and that kind of thing, my story's on Hodinkee now, 
uh, dispatch diving with the new Tudor Pelagos FXD. And then, uh, Jason, you'll have a story, I assume, for Substack at some point. Yeah, that went up this morning. We can we can throw that that link in as well. Um, oh, nice. I had fun. Uh, you know, speaking of watches, I, I got to wear my uh, my old Tudor, the the Snowflake ninety four hundred one, and so cool. And I had that on that Alangapo uh, metal cuff. And uh, you know, talk about a conversation starter. I mean, everybody wants to. Some people hadn't hadn't heard of that that uh, band or or knew of it. Um, and they'd look at it and be like, what is that strange band? And I, I did a little uh, impromptu uh, description of it for for Andrew McCutcheon for the Time and Tide uh, Instagram and, and was kind of explaining it. And then lo and behold, and that was the first night, which was which was a fun night. We were on the beach uh, kind of having bonfires and barbecue and playing cornhole and that sort of thing. But um, and then at the museum, there were several uh, old vintage Tudor subs that had this, the same band on it, which was which was fun to see. And then, um, I took it diving and, and you got uh, a shot or two of that underwater, which was just kind of fun to document. I mean, that's a watch that, uh, I certainly had refurbished. Um, but it's always a little bit of a risk, I guess, when you take a vintage piece underwater. So it was, uh, felt fitting to do that. And I had a watch on each wrist and kind of one old and one new, which was great. It, it, and it looked so good underwater. Yeah. Yeah. To, to see that one underwater alongside you know the dive computers and and you know pretty much everybody on the boat was wearing one of these new fxds uh yeah it was it was a fun one for sure yeah and speaking of that i mean really neat opportunity for um for everybody to try out the new watch i mean i i've i've been on kind of a few dive press trips where you know they let you wear the new watch but it's usually only you know two or three people with it and th- this was a, a full boatload and i think i'm sure the snorkelers did too so you know they had a, a you know a couple dozen sample watches that were used you know in in the water which was a, a really neat thing for for Tudor to offer so uh and then uh, you know great to see some you know newly minted divers i mean we had uh we had uh, rico from rico's uh, watches podcast um he was uh, shout out rico freshly sure. certified we had um uh, blake blake bettner our our good buddy from Warren and wound that we've done a couple shout of, out blake kind of as well. collaborative podcasts with uh, at windup um, Blake, you know, he got certified just before this trip. He did great. I mean, um, so yeah, really, really fun to see, you know, people taking to diving and then being able to, to have this opportunity to dive these new watches. So yeah. And, and to yeah. do it with some of the folks that we know pretty well from the slack, like it's one thing yeah. to see your quote unquote, like work buddies to see you, to see Andrew, to see Nacho, to see, mm-hmm. you know, all these folks that we get to see at watches and wonders and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's another thing to have this other label layer of like, yeah, the, the, the folks that we know and love, but don't get to see quite as often, or certainly even in this setting necessarily. Right. Um, was super fun. I mean, just to get to sit and chit chat with Asha is incredible. And yeah, we had, uh, we had a, re- it was a really good time and not really like a, a press trip, I guess that I've been on before and probably not one that I'll, I'll see repeated, um, yeah. any, anytime soon. Yeah, right. it was nice. It was quick. Can't can't complain with a dive, and then had to run a little bit in the airport, but made it home <laughs> on time. Can't ask for a whole lot more than that, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, uh, thanks to Tudor and, and definitely to Cole, and congratulations, uh, buddy, for for pulling this trip off. Cole, you did a great job. Uh, if you're listening to this, um, you know the trip came off without a hitch. Everybody had a blast, and you know, speaking for James, you know, we we both uh, we both just really really enjoyed it. It was uh, it was a highlight of the year for sure. Yeah, I mean, when your other option is, um, and I'm I'm in no way complaining about this. I, it's actually one of my favorite ways to do this. But normally, when Tudor launches a new watch, I either go to the Tudor store in Toronto or to the Rolex HQ in Toronto, mm-hmm. and you get thirty minutes with the watch. Yeah, which is the most efficient, 
kind understanding of of how people really just want the hands-on photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rolex and Tudor have been really, really good to me in the last few years in in allowing access, whether it's to the new FXD when it came out, the blue one, or even the, the Le Mans Daytona more recently. But if you're going to go a, a step further than this and try and do something that applies some context, some vibe, some backstory, the rest of it, I, I think they did a nice job. And, and I also don't, I can't remember the last time that you and I like spoke spoke at length about like the structure and effectiveness of a press trip. Yeah, right. <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's not always the thing. Usually we're just there to talk, chit chat about the watch. Yeah. Um, in this case, I think it's a fairly easily understood watch. Uh, I got some questions on my, on my Instagram, like, uh, do I like it more than my P39? I think no. Um, but it would be, you know, it's yet another one of these ones that feels like a top five for the mm-hmm. brand right now. Yeah. Um, I do think Jason, that you should probably get one of these, um, <laughs> just cause we, we can finally close the loop on talking about you getting a, a Pelagos at yeah, some right, point. Right. Yeah. I've been holding off. I mean, I think, I think, uh, like I said earlier, this was, this is the, this is the Pelagos that, that finally kind of ticks a bunch of boxes for me. It just, uh, there's something about it. And you know, that's the thing about watches. A lot of it is intangible. And very subjective, of course, and and for some reason this one feels a little less. Um, I don't know. The Pelagos feels it's always felt a little bit, if not sterile, almost like flawless to the point of like I wanted some warmth of some sort. And and maybe it's the strap, maybe it's the configuration, maybe it's the bit of red text. I'm not sure what, but it it just uh, yeah, it, it it definitely does it for me as far as that family of watches goes. Yeah, solid solid trip, cool watch. I get it. Um, in, in some ways it makes me like my P39 even more, um, having had both of them kind of in hand and on rest, uh, yeah. uh for the day. Um, just, I, re- I remain a fan. I think Tudor's doing some great work. It's, it's super easy to like what they're up to these days. If you like sort of modern semi-serious dive watches, right? Yeah. And here we go. Quick turnaround. You know, we, we get a chance to catch our breath and then, uh, and then off for another, I suppose, uh, link to a certain degree to to a navy a different navy um with blanc pan although they did some work with the u.s navy as well and and it's a big anniversary for them with a new dive watch so yeah mm-hmm. it's uh it's been a good year for dive watch lovers let's let's put it that way yeah it's yeah, i would agree i think it's been a, i mean it's been a great season for folks and, and the nice thing is is we're still seeing great watches at lesser prices as well obviously mm-hmm. just recently the uh, scurfa ms23 sold out in the blink of an eye and that's very yeah. much a similar formula similar level of, uh, you know, uh, thought towards the execution of a certain price point, just a different mm-hmm. price point than the tutor. And, uh, in, in one where I don't think you're paying, uh, you know, to see a certain name brand on the dial, I still, you know, love and really enjoy my, my, uh, Skirfa. and these watches just feel more and more relevant. Maybe this is how we're all going to move beyond or brands might end up moving beyond the whole like vintage faux vintage, new vintage conversation. Yeah. It is by slowly promoting watches that have this sort of razor sharp clarity of of like a modern design. Obviously, the snowflake hand is is a throwback for Pelagos mm-hmm. um, and and for Tudor at large. But I don't. I wouldn't. It's one or two throwbacks. I find it for me the 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 vintage effect thing really comes down to uh, like font and coloring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, yeah. these Bolivas, the oceanographer very much feel like vintage inspired. Mm-hmm. But then you have it with a loom dial and an IP coded case, and you're like, "Well, this is a, a kind of an interesting hodgepodge." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots to. I think it'll be an interesting year to look back on, like when we do the year end stuff and talk about our favorite watches and watches that surprised us and the rest of it. I, I, it'll be interesting to kind of compare that to other years and see, you know, what what's kind of of the of the interest at the moment. 
Right. Um, because I don't see the FXD as being the tutor for everyone. That's probably still the BB58 or the um, 54. Yeah, and there were a few 54s uh, kicking around uh, on this trip. Pretty good watch. I got, I got a chance to wear Kristoff. Uh, uh, he's the tutor um, marketing sort of uh, major domo over in uh, Geneva, and he was wearing um, he was wearing a 54, and I got to wear that uh, during dinner really one day. Nice. And, yeah, that's uh, that's the Black Bay for me, which is a strange thing to say because it's a, it's the smallest, but um, I don't know that one's uh, that one's super cool. Yeah, I, I would have some trouble if they did a 54 without the the gilt. Oh yeah, <laughs> because that that would mean that I I could almost combine two or three watches from my collection, sell them off, and try and get my way into one of those. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But the funny thing is, is I don't know if it's just you. If you were just looking head on at the fifty four, can you tell it's a fifty four and not a fifty eight? Uh, I think the the bezel is the big differentiator. I think that's the giveaway. Yeah. It, it it is very noticeable. The the lack of uh, minute hashes between one and fifteen or zero and fifteen. Um, to me, that's the giveaway, I guess. But size wise, like you put it on the wrist and you don't feel, you don't feel 37, you know? Yeah. I find that the, the thing that stands out for me is it, it, whether it's, it is in number or in effect, or probably the answer is it's both. It's so thin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like seeing it on your wrist, I go, oh, there's no way that's a 58. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's how I would tell it has such a thin case band profile. Yeah. Um, and otherwise, yeah, that bezel stands out in a big way, um, almost the opposite of a fully graduated bezel in many ways. Obviously, I would say, you know, Unimatic takes it to its logical right. end point by having just like the, the tuxedo marker or whatever. But uh, yeah. yeah, cool watches. They've got a, They've got a killer lineup. I mean, it's a brand we talk about a ton. And obviously, they're getting a bunch of uh, attention on this episode because we were both down in Florida. But I, f I don't feel like it's necessarily a new trend for us to be on top of it. And then it, it, you know, to be fair, it is kind of fun to have... Uh, uh, see a friend kind of succeed in, in that world. I mean, I'm I'm largely inclined to enjoy most of their watches, not all of them, but most of them. Mm -hmm. um, but it is cool to see Cole, uh, you know, make the leap from kind of one side of the industry to another, and and seemingly, you know, seem to have found a good home for his talents. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a good fit for sure. And uh, thanks again, Cole. Yeah, great, good, good job, buddy. Totally. And if anybody listening has any questions, you can always leave a comment on the Substack for this. You can also drop into the Slack, whether you're currently a member of the Slack or would like to, you can uh, get in by supporting the show at graynado.com. You'll get an invite. And if you have any questions about uh, the new FXD or really anything else, you can drop us an email at thegraynado at gmail.com or leave a comment either in the Slack or on a Substack and we can get back to you with uh, more information. You can also leave me a note on um, on Instagram, I made a post for the watch, so happy to answer questions if we miss something, uh, as always. Uh, beyond that, Jason, you want to jump into some final notes? Sure, yeah. Um, this is sort of related to also to a, a, a TGN listener, a friend of the show, uh, J.R. Seeger. It's a new series on Netflix called Spy Ops, and uh, it's a multi-part series about a variety of uh, clandestine operations that have been undertaken over the years by, you know, CIA, MI6, et cetera. Um, and the first episode is actually about Operation Jawbreaker, which was the kind of right after 9-11, um, the CIA made an effort to, to push into Afghanistan to kind of track down the perpetrators in Osama bin Laden. And uh, they put together a small uh, eclectic team of, of folks to, to kind of make the initial push and gather intel and get, get, things going over there. And, uh, one of the guys on the, the jawbreaker team was J.R. Seeger himself. And he 
is interviewed fairly extensively on this first first episode and it was fun to see him uh his voice is familiar um from some other things where i've seen him and uh and he's an all-around good guy former uh, cia guy and an 81st airborne uh, before that and um and it's just an interesting show in general i mean beyond even the first episode i i kind of dug into i kind of skipped around and there's another episode about uh um, the exfiltration of Oleg uh, Gordievsky, who was a, a double agent uh, working for MI6 uh, behind the Iron Curtain um, during the Cold War, and and this extraordinary story of how they managed to to get him out, uh, smuggle him out of the country when they were feared that his uh, his cover was blown. So, uh, you know, if you're into kind of real life spy stories, uh, check out uh, Spy Ops on Netflix. Oh man, I got a notification for this and immediately just added it to my list. I'm like, well, we're, we'll get to this at a in a lounge <laughs> or something up in the next little while. So I should download some of that to uh, to the tablet and watch it on the flight over. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very cool. And always nice to see uh, Jr. pop up somewhere. Yeah, he's been uh, such a strong supporter and a uh, uh, frequent emailer of very interesting topics. So uh, that's uh, that's very cool. All right. Well, that's mine. Uh, what do you have this week? Yeah, so mine is actually a new album from a band called The Beaches. And if you're hoping to just hold on to the last little scraps of summer, I highly recommend checking out this album. It's called Blame My Ex. I, I got into this band. Uh, yeah, it's a great title. It's a, 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 a foursome of women who I believe the band founded in like 2012, 2013. Uh, they're from the east side of Toronto, which is there's an area called The Beaches. I don't know if they're all from that, but I believe that's where the name came from. Yeah. Um, I actually found out, weirdly enough, I found out about them because someone in, whether someone in the band or in their representation really unlocked like Instagram marketing. I kept hearing the hook (laughs) for months and I would get 10 seconds of it. And then finally I I heard it as I was going through reels and I was like, I need to, I need to hear the rest of this song (laughs) and like found the band on title, started listening to it. Turns out like, I really enjoy a bunch of their past albums. If if you don't want to start on the brand new one, uh, go ahead and just put on Everything is Boring. It's an absolute banger. Really great. Um, they're sort of a uh, a poppy take on indie rock in some ways. It, there's there's elements of it that are very like Courtney Barnett. Uh, they go in a few different directions, and, and I really like the way it comes together. I'll play a little bit of it for you now. And yeah, I, I'm 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 a big fan. Uh, the song's been great and and kind of a constant in in the uh, the Jeep as we drive places up to the cottage. The rest uh, we've had a, a beaches playlist all summer, so to have the full album come out uh, has been pretty good. So if if you're looking to add something and, and you want something a little bit poppier, a little bit more up tempo uh, to uh, to enjoy these kind of final days of of warmer weather before fall hits, uh, kind of in earnest, I highly recommend the new album "Blame My Ex" by the beaches very cool repping uh repping toronto as well that's awesome and uh you know for the importance of of music to to us and i'm sure to many of our listeners uh i suppose we should consider doing a music uh focused episode at some point we have film club and we've had book club and you know who knows but yeah good to see music pop up in final notes every now and then 
Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've uh, enjoyed the band quite a bit, so I figured it'd be worth a share. And I was a little short on stuff to, uh, to chit chat about. I've been mostly working or traveling. So uh, that's been the vibe. And, and then I realized, oh, wait, I've been listening to this album as I work or travel for the last while. So <laughs> it's a it's a good one. I think I think by the time this show comes out, the new album will have been out for about a week. Um, so not not too uh, not too stale at this point. But uh, I hope you guys dig it. All right. Well, fun episode. We'll, uh, we'll mm-hmm. definitely have a, a good one next week uh, as well, I hope. Um, and we'll be seeing each other in a few days. But uh, until then, as always, thanks so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, and maybe even grab a new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynado.com. Music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Jacques Cousteau, who said, The sea, once it casts its spell, holds one in its net of wonder forever. <laughs>